The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey there, friends. Thank you for joining me once again here on Afternoons with Mike. Once again, I'm coming to you from Indiana. I'm up here because my mother is in the hospital. We're praying for her, and thank you for joining us in those prayers. And uh, today will be a big day. We're looking forward to what hopefully will be some good directions that the doctors and nurses who are giving her such excellent care Uh, We're hoping for a good outcome on all of those things. So once again, we say thank you for praying for us and for me as I am uh, coming to you now from Indiana. Not my normal studio location, but we are so glad to have this moment with you and to thank you for your prayers. Uh, On today's program, we're going to be continuing our talks with people from the recent D6 conference. While I was down there, there were so many great authors and speakers, pastors, ministers, uh, people who are involved in spreading the gospel in so many creative ways, all aiming at helping pastors and churches and parents equip the children of uh, today with the gospel and understanding that the teaching from the Old Testament chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 6, is so critical for parents. So equipping parents, that's something that we've been talking about. On our first segment today, I'll have Michelle Niedert, a mental health counselor, and she's going to be sharing with us. So without further ado, let's go to our interview. Another author here at my table today, Michelle Niedert. It's nice to have you. Thanks for having me. It's did great I pr- to be here. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Pretty good. I used to be a school crisis counselor, and the kids would say, if you need her, call Miss Niedert. So I think you got it. Niedert. All there right. You go. And you are one of the uh, other mental health counselors that are here at this conference, helping people kind of get a grasp as to what some of the issues are and what churches need to know regarding mental health. Yeah, yeah. I have a really passion, a really large passion for equipping parents in raising mentally healthy kids from a faith-based perspective. And I think that's such an important topic right now. One in three kids in our country qualifies for a mental health diagnosis. So that's pretty sobering odds to speak of. You know, learning, uh, I had a nice chat with Brianna Edwards, who does therapy and uh, counseling with mental health about the mindset that I think a lot of older Americans have when they they think about this or hear the term mental health, uh, it trips them. They're thinking what is being said oft times mm-hmm. that it is a mental illness that the person is dealing with and not so much a current state of mind or let's say life circumstances that are driving some of the despondent feelings or issues or maybe insecurities or whatever it would be. But the the truth of it is, in a much simpler way, mental health is just a big, wide umbrella that covers all of those emotional responses, uh, maybe difficulties that they're having in that moment of life. does not mean there's something long-term uh, wrong with their thinking process. 
Exactly. In fact, one of my branded phrases is your diagnosis is not your destiny. When we as mental health professionals give a diagnosis, it is based on that moment in time only. In fact, if we're doing our job well, a lot of times when it comes now not to severe mental illness, but to mental health, that diagnosis very often may not be the same or you might not even meet criteria for healthcare coverage of that diagnosis after six months because your symptoms are getting better. It really is. What we look at in mental health very often, I try to explain to parents, is frequency and intensity. So if you're dealing with like depression, how sad are you and how bad is the sad? If you're dealing with anxiety, how scared are you? And how is the fear, is it just fear and you it just flows through you? Or is it more like fear stopping you from being able to socialize and work and do the things in your life? So we're looking at the level of functionality of a person. But we're hoping, you know, the whole idea of, especially behind faith-based mental health, is a healing aspect of God at work in and through us as counselors to almost provide both a sense of the best psychological outcome researched in a great with scripture and prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit working in the office and through both of us. And so it's, I think it's a really powerful process. In fact, people ask me all the time, I used to be a youth and children's minister and women's minister. Why did I decide to become a Christian counselor? Well, I wanted to get paid to disciple people. <laughs> and you don't get to do that in, on church staff yeah, very you often. Don't. Yeah, no. it's true. That's so right. this was the way I found that I could like ta- help people take through truth that we teach on Sundays And there's this 12 inches between your head and your heart that just gets in the way and helping them practically apply it in such a way that they to live it out every day of their life. And that's really what I even did as I partnered with Denise to come alongside with the counselor's corner and make up your mind was, okay, she's teaching all these great theological tips. Now, what is it like to live that out every day when it comes to anger or anxiety or depression or loneliness or scarcity? So, yeah, I do think there's this idea and there is mental illness in our culture. And sometimes that's not cured. That's managed. Definitely. Definitely. But but there are people who truly struggle with something because of circumstances. And it's it's almost like grief. You know, those waves hit. And sometimes it's almost more than we can bear. I'm seeing more of the older generation seek seek me out. I have a counseling center in Dallas with about 15 therapists that we work at there. And we have a lot of older people coming to us now as they lose loved ones and the loss seems unbearable. And now the extended family doesn't always live close to one another. They don't have that support they need. Or a lot of them, their adult children are struggling and they feel really helpless and they don't know where the line is and those boundaries are. And they're asking me a lot of questions about that and just looking for some wisdom and some guidance and some resources. And also just, you know, they don't want to be talking to everyone in their circles about their kids' business. So there's a privacy factor, not a secrecy factor, but Mm -hmm. a privacy factor that can be helpful with counseling. 20 years ago, there was a big push in counseling in not Christian counseling, but in secular counseling, uh, getting young people who were hyperactive, getting them involved with drugs like Ritalin and things like that. And back then, I remember as a pastor talking to a lot of number of of families that were affected by that, who might have had a child that would have fit that category. Do you feel that some of the problems that are happening with mental health today would they stem back to not understanding hyperactivity or some of the maybe even drugs and things that that happened 20 years ago? I would say more so I think the mental health problems today are coming from a culture that values humans based on their performance, their appearance, and what they, what they own. 
and and then there's never enough or there's a fear of losing it. I think that worldview against a biblical worldview of an identity in Christ where we base our identity on our creation, our salvation, and then our adoption makes such a difference. I, I, I see both a place for medication. I think you can actually hurt a kid sometimes by not medicating them mm-hmm. because I've seen a kid who like, they want to do what's in this book. They want to change their mindset and their neurochemistry has them stuck. Yes, in a perfect world, we get them eating whole foods off the ground that God made for them and moving and that brain might come unlocked. But the reality of the culture today is that's really hard to do. And the more stuck you are, the less energy you have and the less you feel like doing. And you know, I say all the time that emotions need to be on the bus, but not driving the bus. But it's hard with kids. The middle school brain is like jacked up on hormones, you know, and, and it's it's struggling. And so I think it's just really important that um, that we work with kids to meet them where they're at, help them get unstuck. But the average kid I have in my office may take medication for 6 to 12 months. And there's research that even says if we do that, the body remembers. So there's a good chance if we get them out of the cycle sooner, and then we give them the coping skills and the scriptures and all the things that we bring into it, then they may actually protect them from having depression and severe issues as adults. Yeah, do I, I, I actually am diagnosed recently by Daniel Amen with ADHD, and I never took medication as a kid. Um, but I learned a lot of coping skills I didn't realize that I was doing. Um, I read a book called Disciplines of a Beautiful Woman by Anne Ortland and was mentored by a pastor's wife, and I kept a notebook, and I did a lot of things that help people with ADHD manage tasks and things like that. And so I, I think there are ways I think it's both together. The research says that sometimes you need medication. You definitely need scripture, prayer, discipleship, sometimes counseling and getting some tools from our toolboxes. But sometimes it's the merger of both that that creates the magic. And it's learning how to manage that. And, And that's where I think, again, we don't, we need to have doctors and professionals. What I'm really worried about right now is this one in three kids some of these kids aren't diagnosed by anyone. They're Googling and creating their own diagnoses. And if you've got a kid who's struggling with fear and worry, if they start saying they have an anxiety disorder and they haven't seen me or a doctor to get that diagnosis, if they're self-diagnosing, they're going to create a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because mm-hmm. also, I would also say your diagnosis is not your identity. It's a snapshot. Again, we don't say I am the flu. You know, um, it's something that you have at a period of time. And then we want to help you cope and move on and claim the promises of God and get past it. But I do believe I've been trained a lot by John Townsend and Henry Cloud. I think it takes grace, truth and time sometimes for that to occur. And it's hard to be patient in the time part. Yeah. When it's uh, when it's really bad, when it's chronic and it's deep, uh, time uh, really is difficult to recognize. It feels like you're going to be that way forever. Oh, it does. And especially for kids, because we're in such a microwave. We're past a microwave culture. We're faster than that these days. And so it is hard. And we have so much information at our fingertips. But the reality is, and this is what I tell people in my office, like I'll teach them this mind, some of the stuff we have in the mindset, um, make up your mind book, uh, dealing with depression and anxiety. And some of it is cognitive behavioral therapy, or if it's faith-based, it would be renewing the mind. You would use scripture with it. And they'll come back in a week and say it didn't work well you can't retrain your you can't retrain and build a muscle I just had a hip replacement I had to go to physical therapy for months to get to walking again and I'm still not running you know you it takes time to retrain your the muscle your brain's a muscle it's going to take time to retrain that and so I tell them all the time like you know seven days isn't going to fix this you've been doing this you've been talking mean to yourself for seven years 
and you have not been listening to what God says about you, but what the world says about you for seven years. So it's going to, it's not going to take seven years to get you better, but mm-hmm. it's going to take some time. That's why actually in our counseling center at Community Counseling Associates, we have this sign that says the other six days, 23 hours. Because I tell people, I can help you create progress in an hour a week, but it's really, if you want to change, if you want transformation, it's just like church, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be what you do the other six days, 23 hours a week that makes the difference. It really How much is. you sleep, read scripture, meditate on it. Um, you know, I like breath prayers where you breathe in God's love and you breathe out your worries and you listen to worship to lift your spirits and all that kind of stuff makes such a difference. What is the biggest issue, the single issue that comes to mind that parents can help their kids avoid? Would it be screen time? Would it be... Uh, uh, computer time. What 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 do you see? I think it would be managing their emotions. And I've got a series coming out with Zonder Kids that's going to be about God. I feel sad. God, I feel scared. God, I feel mad. Because here's reality: we as parents, a lot of times, we struggle with our own emotions and what to do with them. And and these things, sad, mad, and scared, lead to depression and anxiety. So if we can help our kids not only acknowledge them but then turn to God with them and also involve us in them. I had a girl out there just a minute ago tell me, she's a minister now. She struggled with suicide, self-harm, and depression horribly in high school. Her parents never knew it. Parents have got to become the emotional and spiritual compasses of their children. And that takes time and connection and proactivity, intention. It takes talking to your kids about, yeah, we're gonna feel sad sometimes. And it's not an immediate, but God loves us and we can put our hope in him. That is true. It's okay to be sad, but we do want to let our sad out. And we do want to let God's joy and love in. We want to teach them to turn to him to be the lifter of their heads. Because what our kids are turning to is, I hate to tell you, one of the biggest issues I'm dealing with is the world is saying if you're miserable and you're a girl, you might want to try being a boy for a while. Yeah. Maybe that'd be yeah. good. And and what it is is when we get those kids in our office, we're not going to fight that value system. We're going to treat their misery because as we treat the misery, the other stuff will start to go away because they don't need a reason to be miserable and they don't need a worldly solution anymore. What do you think is the most valuable one single resource that a church can employ? To help their people? I think they need to equip their people to be lay ministers. I think what's missing in the church right now is we do events. We like events. We like large groups. We might even do small groups. We are missing what goes on in my office. And it's, and it's sad because not everybody can write me a check. And what we're missing is that one-on-one, I see you, I hear you, God loves you, He's got a great plan for your life, and I can see that happening in you because I see his goodness in you. Our kids are desperate, and there are adults who didn't hear that. They've grown up in traumatic homes with a lot of trauma and criticism, and so I think the church can't ignore the trauma. The church sometimes, like I've heard churches say recently, we've been in COVID for two years. We've lamented enough. It's time for it to be over. But if your people are at home with kids and they're still lamenting, then we have to walk them through the grief, holding on to hope. But we can't just say, because then they'll stuff it. And let me tell you, that'll put them in my office real quick. We Mm -hmm. cannot stuff what's really going on because we're scared somebody's going to judge us. And so I try to help parents um, be connected, be curious. And then kind of, I mean, John Trent and I are good friends. I still love the blessing by he and Gary Smalley. 
they, the big blessing is to say, I see a great future ahead of you. Instead of, if you don't do this, you're going to be nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot yeah. of that these days. And it really needs to be. I told my daughter, my daughter is 15 years old, almost 15, leads worship um, at her church in the youth group. And I was talking to her last night as uh, Ron was talking about these circles of different aspects of what keeps kids stick stuck to the church. When, they, when they're no longer attenders, you know, when they become volunteers, they belong. And I see that in her. And I told her, I... I am amazed at the way I see God at work in you, and I love it. And I I heard that not from my father, who was an elder in the church and the head of mission uh, pastoral development for MAF. He was always like, you could do more, you could be more. But there was a pastor who came alongside me and said, and look, he predicted correctly, again, self-fulfilling prophecy. I see God's gifts in you, and I see him at work in you, and you're going to make a difference in this kingdom someday. You're going to be an amazing leader. And I think we need to be blessing our kids and projecting that over them. And on that point, I could not agree more. We'll have more with Michelle Niedert coming up in just a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike, and you're on the Shepherd Radio Network. Back again here on Afternoons with Mike, and a big thank you for joining us. want to remind you of the big changes that are going on here at The Shepherd. You can keep up with all of this on our program guide that's on the web. All you have to do is go to theshepherdradio.com and click on Program Schedule, and you'll see it for both uh, the Orlando market as well as uh, Ocala and Gainesville right there. But basically, we now have a new host for what was the Dan Celia Show, Financial Issues Live. Of course, we lost Dan recently. He is now with the Lord, and we miss him so much. His voice was so welcoming and a part of our mornings here on The Shepherd. He often had a co-host with him named Shanna Burt. Shanna is now the new host of Financial Issues Live, and it is now on one hour a day from 9 to 10. And you can catch it right after the news at 9.05, Shanna Burt, Financial Issues Live. Then at 10.05, following the news, my program from the day previous will be aired again, giving you another opportunity to listen to Afternoons with Mike. And then at 11.05, it is Dr. Stephen Rummage, and moving forward. And then finally, after the break at the bottom of the 11 o'clock hour, 11.32, we'll have another replay of uh, that day's version of Charlie Kirk's Saving America Radio with Charlie Kirk. So thank you for tuning in to these changes here on The Shepherd. And uh, we are so excited to bring this new lineup to you each and every day. Now let's get back to our interview with mental health counselor, Michelle Niedert. The two things that you're talking about right there is encouragement yeah. and faith. Yeah. Those two things together, when spoken, spoken together, an encouraging word that is expressing the faith that not only we have for people, but that God has expressed in his word for those people. Yeah. The, the greatest promise of all is that he's not going to leave them or forsake them. And that means they're not alone. And that's what right now the research is saying that people are struggling with. We have never felt as isolated and alone. And that's a lie. You know, I teach kids all the time in my office, whether they're looking at screens or whether they're dealing with their own thoughts to ask, is it true? Is it really true? What if it's not true? What if the opposite is true? 
getting them to employ that cognition and not just be on emotion, but on that left side of the brain. I wrote about that in Make Up Your Mind as well. And I think it's so important that we're asking those questions because we're living in a culture that thinks they're alone. But if God is always with us, we're never alone. Mm. And I had a grandmother who just recently passed away at 97. And she and I talked about that. I, I asked her when grandpa died, do you ever feel lonely? And she's like, you know, Michelle, and I see your faith and that gift that's kind of come through our heritage. You seem to never, I'm like, I've never felt alone. I've known since a child that God is always with me and he will not even, t- I mean, I've been through church splits on a church staff, hard times, but I knew he was with me. These people mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. always love for a little <laughs> bit, but, but you know, I recovered from that too and regained my faith even in that. I think that sometimes we go through hard times with church hurt and difficulties, but God never leaves us and forsakes us. And I think that's the ultimate message. Like when we're dealing with like suicidal kids, I say to kids all the time in public schools and private schools and churches, death is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Let's find some better temporary solutions. There are better ones. There are better ones. (laughs) Yes, there There are. are Because God has got a plan and what the enemy would like to do more than anything. And that's why I think Christian parents have got to wake up. It's to steal, kill, and destroy the next generation of kingdom Mm -hmm. leaders. I feel the reason I'm out here, I would rather be floating in my pool, hanging with my kids and just running the counseling center. But the reason I'm in different states every month talking to people is because he is literally trying to just physically take our kids' lives. And we as parents, I think we need to pray against that. I think there's a spiritual warfare dynamic to that darkness. But I think it's also we need to teach our kids the value of life, the value of how God made them in gender, the value of their purpose in life and their purpose isn't to go to some college and get a great job. Their purpose is to serve this kingdom and it's, it's going to look different for each one of them. And we need to find out not what our agenda, it's hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. I'm a parent. I got them, you know, I've got 11 and a 14 year old. Um, what, what our agenda is for them. I mean, I'd love to see them like me go on a full ride in college. My daughter's thinking about being a hairdresser, but you know what? I could see her ministering to people Every hour. And to be honest, she'll make more money than I do as a therapist. (laughs) So, you know, you have to trust God with that, even when it's hard. And he's going to, but this is what I've told my kids. They don't like me being the boss of them. They all the time. They're like, I tell them the minute God's the boss of you, I will boss you a lot less. And my daughter's pretty much there. God is, she gets up in the morning. She reads his word. She loves him. I told her she's making me look like a spiritual slacker these days. Oh my goodness. I don't appreciate it. But, um, but when God is the boss of our kids, if we can transfer that leadership and that ownership through discipling our kids, mm-hmm. I believe they will have less mental health issues. And when they do struggle with their mental health, it won't be mental illness. It'll be something they be, they're resilient and they bounce back. From. How can people get your books? Uh, you can go to yourmentalhealthcoach.com. Uh, they are available on Amazon and anywhere else that you could look for. D6 has got them in their bookstores. Well, I have two. I have Make Up Your Mind for Women and for the general public. And then I have a devotional called Loved and Cherished for Girls. It is, I've taken, girls don't read nonfiction mental health. So I've taken it, put it in a daily devotional that you can do with your daughter. We've got discussion guides if you want to do small groups. I've got one coming out next called Probably Managing Your Emojis. And it's going to be about all these emotions. How do you approach them from a biblical, spiritual perspective with your kids? Michelle Nieder, thank you so much for dropping by and talking to us. I love your enthusiasm. Go Dallas. All right. Thank you very much for having me. At the D6 now with Christine Stensland from Blending.Love. There I am. My goodness, welcome to the program. 
Now, tell me a little bit about, your name is similar uh, to a, a ministry that I recently had on my program. In fact, when I first saw it, I thought that was yeah. the very ministry. But tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing here at the D6. So we're here at the D6 sharing a new tool um, for those who are in a blended family or a step family, as some people may refer to them, mm-hmm. or those who love, want to serve, just want to support blended families. So the tool is a web application. It's at blending.love. You don't have to put .com. It's just blending.love is the URL. Yeah. And it just asks a series of questions so that the family or those, again, who support, love, counsel, coach, whatever, um, lead, um, can see the complexity of a blended family. So it just allows everybody to better understand and say, we see you, we love you, we want to support you. Um, And so it just helps them navigate the complexity of a blended family. So we would have um, connected with the folks that you had on, the Daughtries, um, the Co-Parenting International mm-hmm. folks, this could be a tool that they would use as they work with blended families. So this is a web application tool to support people like the Daughtries as they walk with love, coach, counsel, support, lead, um, whatever word you want to use, advise um, blended family couples. You, you know, when you think back to how our culture has changed, a couple of generations ago, blended families would not have been as widespread or as um, let's say out there as it is right now. Right. What? There is, it's a non-traditional family. Um, anybody who lives in your home, who's not biologically related to you is a blended family. And I'm not going to get the right number. My husband's the analytic and he'll tell me don't use numbers unless you can validate them and they're data and <laughs> research based, but there's over 60 types of blended families. So you're talking foster adopt, you know, as a result of divorce, also result of death. You know, um, there's all kinds of grandparents parenting again. So, um, and again, I'm not going to use the right number because um, we can't find the, you know, I don't have it in my back pocket. But even sitting in our church pews, I say it's over 10%. Some I've seen as high as 40% of people sitting in your pews or in, or in blended families or in non-traditional families. And those numbers are only growing. They're only yep. going up. Yep. yep. And so it's there's going to come a time, and if we're not already there, that uh, nuclear families that have been together all along, just the just with m- one couple, are, are becoming more and more rare, sadly. Yeah, right. And so we just want to say to those folks, again, we see you, right? We still love you, and we want to support, serve you. Um, my husband and I are in our own blended family, and I like to brag on this product because um, it was developed and programmed by my husband and the three oldest in our blended family. We didn't have hundreds of thousands of dollars sitting around to hire a software development company to do this. Mm -hmm. So we've done um, development. We, we as an, I get to talk about it and brag on my husband and my children. Um, But it's a labor of love and it's what we felt God used our divorces to um, glorify him just to have this tool. So yeah, our kids were in college and we were helping them a little bit uh, along that journey. And we said, Hey, you're all getting computer science or computer programming degrees do you know how to make this a thing? And they all three, the first, the oldest three, my youngest is still in college and not getting a computer science degree, but they did the programming for this. So they lo- they, they've they lived it. So they mm-hmm. reflected what their experience was in living in two homes. Like as a blended family, when, when I got married again, I, I, I could have fallen into the trap of thinking this is just a redo of my first family. I'm going to you know, be an intact family and act like that. But that's not true. My kids live in two homes. And so, and that's just my kids. Some kids live in multiple homes. 
Um, so this allows me as a parent to say, I need to better understand the fact that there's another house that my kids go to. They have a half-sister, a stepsister on one side. They have a stepsister um, on the other side. And those people impact my home. They impact them emotionally, financially, um, time-wise, faith-wise. And so this Blending.Love just lets people see that and have the resources, tools, videos just to navigate that. Now, you mentioned a tool that you're here to kind of talk about, and you're demonstrating, I'm sure, at your booth, which is, we're kind of almost booth mates here. We kind of are. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, You're here with that. Give us a description about what that tool does. Yep. So, it's a tool that when you go to blending.love, you can, um, if you're a couple yourself, you can go to the couple page, but if you're an advisor or a church or a pastor or a coach, therapist, um, there's an advisor portal, but you would just... Um, if let's let's just start with the couple. If I'm the couple, I can sign up to take this um, assessment. I'd answer a series of questions. So it asked me questions like, um, how many kids did you have when you married Mike? And I'd say two. Well, how many does Mike have? He has two. Or who's their biological parent? If you know it, you put it in. If you don't, you don't. Um, you know, how much time is in our houses? And, and then we go through a series of emotional questions. So it actually draws out first, like, Um, biological bonds it'll show and then I'll say things like biological bonds actually are the strongest and and we've lived it and we've led many many blended family groups and 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 are connected to blended family ministry stuff um, across the country and I've never seen anybody or heard anybody say that's not true so what that means for those of us in blended families and gives me permission to love my children differently I birthed my two boys they are mini me's they are genetically connected to me and um, in blended families, there's some complex stuff. There's custody issues, there's time issues, but when that complexity, um, it, it breeds stress. So the more complex something is, the more stressful it is to navigate, right? Well, then stress thickens blood. So mm. in blended families, let's say we're just going to go with an example of a Christmas tree. At Christmas, let's say we always used colored lights on our Christmas tree, and Mike's girls only wanted white lights on the Christmas mm-hmm. tree. Let's say this came down to a big discussion. Well, I would side with my boys and Mike would side with his girls. That's because we have time together, but we also have genetics together. And not that, you know, I don't want to discount um, foster families or adopted families because you still love your kids. But when they're mini-me's, I deal with my kids' shenanigans, as we call it, different than Mike's girls' shenanigans because my kids are, they're, they're me. And mm-hmm. I don't even notice some of that. So... This app, this tool draws that out. So you have talking points. You can see that here are the biological bonds. Here are the legal bonds. Legal bonds. I don't have rights to Mike's girls. And if there's a contentious relationship with his ex, which there was, before they were 18, I'd worry if something happened to Mike, would my Mike's ex-wife block me from being able to see the girls that I do love mm-hmm. and I am a part of their life? Right. Would she block it? Yeah. And then the emotional bonds are huge. Yeah, you mentioned complexity. That's really a good word. There there are a lot of directions. Yep. A lot of details that have to be worked out. Yep, yep. And we don't call it a family tree. We call it a family hedge because it goes sideways. Mm. So somebody in another house dictates sometimes or impacts time. Like I said, time, finances, emotions, and our spiritual beliefs of Mm -hmm. our our, our kids. Mm -hmm. That's hard. You have no control over that. No control at all. So. 
you're uh, here to talk about this tool. Yep. Are you guys uh, are you guys seeing uh, this conference? Is this your first time? <laughs> it, it's it's really it's amazing. I started to say, are you seeing any growth? Uh, to your company as a result of the conference, but I'm, I'm betting you guys have been working nonstop since you got here. Well, you know what's fun is as we start talking to different organizations that are here and their light bulbs go off like, I mean, we'll just say some of the universities that are training family pastors or Christian counselors. Wow, this is a tool that can help us. Again, just say to blended families, we love you, we see you, we accept you, we want you here, we want you, know, you to know yeah. the love of Christ, and your story can be redeeming. And so it's an interesting, I would say more from connections of other um, or serving organizations. Um, we've had a few people come by, but I think for even us to go, wow, this tool, God can really use this. And so we'll, we'll see. This is our first non-blended family conference. We were at Fam Family Life Summit on Blended Family Ministry last fall. We're in Ron Deal's new book, Preparing to Blend, is his first um recommended resource for blended families and so we were on stage with Ron Deal and then we're presenting at some conferences later this year so this is our first non-blended family focused conference and we're, we're really enjoying it well it's a lot of fun yeah it's great to be here a lot of great people are at this I, there conference. are a lot of great yeah. people it's fun to connect it really is yeah thank you so much Christine that's Christine Stensland from blending.love that's the website blending.love Instead of calm. So Correct. just add the love. Yeah, there you go. And you got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Christine. You bet. So enjoy getting to chat with both Christine Stensland and also Michelle Niedert. Uh, it reminded me, Christine's interview reminded me so much of the Blended Families uh, interview of uh, several weeks back, maybe even a couple of months ago now, with uh, the Martindales from Texas. So they're doing a great work. Again, we've had so many great conversations with people at this D6 conference. That's something for you to consider being a part of in the future, going down to Orlando's uh, one of the hotels. It's already online for next year. They're going to be back. That is the D6 conference. You can check all of that out. We'll be back with segment three coming up in just a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. With me right now is Laura Petherbridge, author, speaker, and a life coach from uh, the Atlanta area, North Atlanta. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. I appreciate being here. It, it's really been a fun thing for me to be here, see all these different people, meet the uh, the folks who are either attending or maybe even an exhibitor at the uh, D6 conference, and the whole meaning and life behind it all drawing from Deuteronomy 6. Yes. It's just a little bit of an important chapter, isn't it? It sure is for all of us. If for all of us. Tell me about how it is that you became a life coach. Well, I work primarily with step families, blended families, people in a remarriage. And so I began to have a number of clients that wanted one-on-one -on -one help. I've written several books on the subject, and so they started wanting more intimate help for their specific areas. And so that's when I got training to become a life coach, and it's worked well. Okay. As an author, what started you off in that? Well, my first book is a divorce recovery book. It's a frequently asked questions where I led divorce recovery for over 20 years, and I noticed the pattern of questions would repeat itself. So I put the most frequently asked questions in chapters by topic. Mm -hmm. So that's how I started and then got more and more involved in step family ministry. 
And then Ron Deal asked me to co-author The Smart Stepmom with him. And so after that book came out, then I really had numerous inquiries from churches and individuals and couples. Would you please help our step family? So that's it progressed from divorce recovery, single parenting, and then into step families, which is what I primarily do at this point. Now, the term blended family is really connected with a lot of people. And and there are several organizations using that nomenclature right now to kind of describe what they are. And they, I believe, uh, prefer that picture over, and, and it always has struck me as a little harsh sounding to say that this is my stepchild. It, it almost seems like already a, a, a shirt tail cousin. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of vernacular that is not all that encouraging, right? Yes. Many people do not like the phrase step family or stepmom, stepdad. It does not bother me. I've been a stepmom for 36 years and I had two stepmoms and one stepdad growing up. So it does not bother me at all. But I do know there are people that don't like the phrase. Of course, Disney had a lot of wicked stepmoms, and so, you know, there's some negativity there. Uh, So the phrase blended family has become more popular. And the problem with that is, is it gives the idea that it automatically occurs, and that is a fallacy. So family just doesn't automatically happen. No, it doesn't. People, stepkids do not automatically embrace a stepmom, a stepdad, step siblings, or even an hours baby. If the couple adds a baby after the merge between the two families, the kids often do not embrace that. And they definitely don't do it quickly. Depends Mm -hmm. on their age, their gender, what the life is like in the other home. There's all kinds of reasons why they will merge easily or not. Feelings of being threatened by that child? Definitely. Definitely. That that this new person is going to take my mother or my father away. Mm-hmm. See, they don't view it as a new, pa- oh, goody, I get to have another parent. They're thinking, I've already lost my biological family. That has already been fractured, either because of death or divorce. All step families are birthed on loss. All step families are birthed on loss. Either a death or a divorce had to have occurred for the step family to exist. Mm-hmm. So you have grief, fear, anger, you have all sorts of emotions for everybody involved coming into the step family. So to think that all of those emotions are just going to melt away because the couple is happy, they've found each other, they found love again, they assume, and the church assumes, friends and neighbors assume that everybody's going to be all happy and skipping and holding hands and hugging each other. And that's rarely the case. It takes time. It takes understanding. It takes a lot of prayer. It takes a lot of discovering what's normal for a step family and why everybody is behaving the way that they are Mm -hmm. and overcoming those things. What is the number one problem in a blended family? The number one problem, hands down, is the children. People who divorce in a second marriage, children are the number one reason. Because each parent feels differently about how the children should be parented. 
So dad may parent his kids one way, mom may parent her kids one way, or even if one of those comes in and they don't have children, they don't like the way their spouse is parenting. They usually think the parent is too lenient with their own children. And so what the step parent does is they jump in and try to start parenting more than the parent. Mm. And so that becomes... that doesn't work. It will not work. Yeah. It will backfire almost every time. And so we have to teach these couples how the step parent can step back from taking the reins and parenting more than the biological parents. Now, wouldn't it be the case that with all of these situations and blended families, the real issue at need is relationship, right? That's true, except very often the children do not want, no matter what age they are, we're talking 3, 10, 13, 15, 33, they don't always want a relationship with mom or dad's new spouse. Mm. They often are like, okay, that was your decision over there, but don't expect me to like this person. And see if their other biological parent is saying anything negative about that, or if the child feels they're being disloyal to their biological parent in the other home, by loving that step parent or embracing that step parent, they will they will shun that in a heartbeat, because w- children are fiercely loyal to their biological parent. So, for example, if because I'm a stepmom, I work with a lot of stepmoms. If the children feel mom will be angry or mom will be mad at me or mom will be sad if I embrace my stepmother, they won't do it, even if they like her because they have a fierce bond to Mm -hmm. that parent, which is normal. It's natural. That's not anything to be ashamed of. But um, this is often why if they feel their father will, will be upset if I embrace my new stepdad, even though I really like him, he plays football with me or whatever, they'll, they'll shun that because they don't want to hurt their biological parent. So for a family coming together in a blended way, uh, divorce, like you said, it could be death. And yet the process of blending is now, whether they're ready for it or not, they're facing it. Are there things that a, a parent can do to mitigate the the damage, if you will? Absolutely. The first thing is to move slowly. The number one mistake these couples make is they rush it very quickly. They assume kids. And again, this includes adult kids. See, we often think this just means little children. But adult kids, adult stepkids often struggle, especially if, say, mom died and now dad's remarrying. And if he's done that somewhat quickly or if he's trying to push this new woman on on the kids, the adult kids and even the grandkids, like, wait a minute, you know, she's not my mother. And I don't want my kids getting close to this lady just because you decided to marry her. And so so taking it slow, moving gradually, introducing the kids gradually, especially if they're young kids. You don't want to introduce them until you're pretty sure you're going to get married. You don't want to be introducing young children to your new boyfriend, girlfriend until that's progressing along. Um, That's the first thing. 
The second thing is attend step family events or resources or podcasts. Learn what is the normal way to blend in a healthy manner because we often have a distorted view of what this is going to be like. So come and learn from people like myself or Ron Deal or anybody else who does Christian step family work Mm -hmm. so we can help you understand what's normal and what's the the pitfalls to avoid. Mm. So that would be the second thing. The third thing is to believe, understand and, and completely embrace that step families are radically different than biological families. It's the mistake we make in the church by saying, oh, everybody's gonna love each other exactly the way they do in a biological family. That is totally inaccurate. And yes, I have grown to love my stepsons, but did it happen the day I met them? No, that happened over time as I prayed about it. These are children my husband had with another woman. That is not going to be an automatic bond just because I fell in love with my husband. Mm -hmm. And so I had to ask Jesus to help me learn how to love children who were not mine and who might not ever embrace me in their life. It's a very Jesus kind of love because you you have no guarantee you're going to get anything in return. What is the most frustrating thing for you as a coach when you look at families who are hurting, families that are broken like this? What what frustrates you that you would like to see change, but it, it is what it is. It's a broken family. It's it's blended, mm-hmm. and there's hope and all of that. But what what do you fight against? The couple who thinks they can keep doing it the way they're doing it and get a different result. You know, I often ask them, how's that working for you? It's not going to be working well. No. And see, they want to keep. And then I have to ask them, do you want to be right or do you want to be married? Because you have to decide. Because the way you've been doing this is not working And I realize you don't like what I'm telling you and what I'm teaching you because this isn't what you thought it was going to be. But if you want this marriage to work, you've got to change what you're doing. And you can only change your piece of this. See, they always want to change their spouse. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Everybody wants to change their spouse. (laughs) I wanted to change my spouse. (laughs) That's right. Oh, you need to change. Yeah, that's that's right. This is so helpful. And I, I think this issue that you've brought up about making sure we're taking time, not getting in such a hurry. And realize that it takes not only time for our hearts to change, but it, it takes our kids. They may be resilient and they're going to bounce and all of that. It still takes time. It sure does. And and my number one cry would be is if pastors and leaders would become more educated on step families, because they put these couples when they're engaged, dating or engaged, they put them in a in a regular marriage class, in a regular pre-marriage class, a regular marriage class, and it doesn't work because their issues are radically different than the first-time marriage. Mm-hmm. And yes, all of those things we want them to learn about how to love each other and how to respect each other and how to communicate and sex life and all of that. Yes, they're going to need all of that. But first, they need to learn how to come together as a step family, as a blended family. They need to learn those complexities first. It would be like someone bleeding 
you know, they've been in an accident and they're bleeding, you need to put a tourniquet on that bleeding before you can take them over into physical therapy. Mm-hmm. That's how it is with a step family. We can't rush, rush them into physical therapy and learning to walk until we've repaired the fracture. That's wonderful. Tell us how people can get your materials or get in touch with you on the web. Yes, absolutely. It's the smart stepmom. The smartstepmom.com. My name's Laura Petherbridge and I am the smart stepmom. That's wonderful. Laura, nice to meet you. You too. Thanks for what you do and thanks for being here at D6. I appreciate it. And that's about all my time for today. Thank you so much for being with me once again. I'll be back tomorrow here on Afternoons with Mike on the Shepherd Radio Network.